Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. From 52, Adam Vinatieri lining it up. Rigoberto Sanchez looking for the hole from Luke Rhodes. Here it is. Snap, ball down, kick is up. It's on its way. Pass the distance. And it is. It's good! It's good! Adam Vinatieri knocks it down, and the Colts have the lead. The Colts have the lead from 52. The greatest of all time knocks it through. And the Colts lead it 15 to 13 with 22 seconds left. Holy my! The cardiac Colts strike again. You never apologize for a win in the NFL, and there is no apologizing at West 56th Street on this Monday. I'm Kevin Bowen. Back, another edition of Kevin's Corner. Joey Molinaro decked out in his black and yellow for his boys tonight on Monday Night Football. Um, Wow, what a matchup. Steelers and Dolphins. Nothing says get on your couch and get ready for football like that. Hey, it's the Super Bowl to the Molineros, so (laughs) let's do it. That is fair. I respect that. Obviously, Colts and Steelers a week from Sunday, and when the Colts travel to Heinz Field, they will be heading there winners of three straight. Joey, not pretty. Uh, Insert your cliche of there's never such thing as a ugly win or whatever. I'd rather win ugly than have a pretty loss, whatever. Survive in advance, seven straight games now, one score games for the Colts this season, and they continue to find a way, this one in a much different way than the first six games, but they find a way to get it done. Yeah, another one is, yeah, that's a sign of a good team is when they play poorly and they pull out a win, right? That's right. another one you mm-hmm. hear a lot. Yeah. And they did that yesterday, and I think uh, I liked what you said off the top. Cardiac Colts, I think it might be time to start printing some shirts here soon. Something like that. The only yeah. team in the NFL with seven straight uh, one-score games to start the year, and um, yes, there is this big picture debate, certainly, about the Colts and playing to their competition, uh, which I think has such a negative connotation that like comes with it. Like, oh yeah, this team plays their to their competition. That can be good and bad, <laughs> you know. When you when you play to your competition, that means you won an Arrowhead, and then you came back the next week and beat Houston. Like, th- there's not just all bad with that phrase being thrown out there. Um, so, yeah, it is something that we've seen that so far through the first seven games that you would like to see, I think, a, the Colts play to a standard that's their standard week in and week out and not necessarily, I get it, there's parity in the NFL, but there's not this much parity. Like, the Colts have been the outlier of all 32 teams in the league in terms of playing to their competition. And certainly when you're looking at playoff teams, they're by far the only team um, in the AFC South playoff picture that is not Won a game by two scores. Mm-hmm. It's a weird stat. You look at the AFC South. The Colts lead the division by you know a, a game, and obviously were aided big time by the J.J. Watt injury last night. But I think they have the smallest point differential of any team in the division. It's kind of weird, right? Now it's it's a very even division. Every team is at least five hundred or better. Uh, but the Colts just haven't blown out teams. They haven't r- 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 run away from teams. I I thought Sunday had the opportunity to be that, and Denver's defense lived up to it. But I just thought with the Colts healthy, we would have seen 
a better performance. 21 of 22 starters available you know, for you. That's a rarity in today's NFL, especially in late October. Um, so, yeah, good and bad from it, but the ultimate thing is you're 5-2, and two and, and <laughs> you sit right now as the number two seed in the AFC, which is, again, unbelievable. Large part of that is because of you have here down on the rundown the play. And who knows, you know, by the end of the season, it seemed to me like a play that you look back on in, a, in an America's game type of yes. of documentary, right? This is Spot something that, that, that changed the tide of, okay, this is what the season's going to be. And that was the play that Jacoby Brissett made in that two-minute drive. Cue the NFL film's voice. You know, cue the... What if I told you yeah. Vaughn Miller had Jacoby Brissett wrapped up? You know, it's yeah. top three worst voice voice impressions I could ever make, <laughs> but it's what you're gonna get at eight forty two on a Monday morning. Um Best play I've ever seen Jacoby Brissett make. Oh yeah. I think when you look back on his career, he could win two Super Bowls, and I think that play would be in the top five or six plays that he's ever made. And um, that might be a bit hyperbole, but just all the factors that you weigh into this, Joey, of the sense of your offense can't do anything. Jacoby Brissett, probably the worst game of of, of the season for him leading up to that point, um, and, and the offense not helping him at all. The offensive line really got manhandled, um, I thought, throughout. Yeah, that was surprising. Yeah, very very surprised by that, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, three things, the escape, the throw, and the catch. Mm-hmm. All of them are incredible in their own way. The escape, let's let, let's start there. The Colts miss a stunt. Von Miller, free rush, um, comes in right through the Mark Glowinski gap. He's got Brissett. I mean, he has two hands on Brissett. Wrapped him up around the waist. I think it would have been a safety. Would have been really close. You know, would have been one of those, oh my gosh, he touched them at the half-yard line, right. so it's not a safety. But... A sack there theoretically ends the game. You have you have no timeouts. Yep. So if you go down there, you are, you know, f. Um, he's able to shed Miller, which again that that is unbelievable in its own self. But to me, the most astonishing part of the play was the throw, because it's not something where you just shed the sack, scramble out of bounds, throw the ball out of bounds, whatever. No, no, no. You realize time. You realize score. You realize that you've created now an unscripted play. And here's an opportunity to finally find T.Y. Hilton, who had had one catch in five targets up to that point. Chris Harris should be traded for a first-round pick for how he looked on Sunday afternoon against the Colts. And what does Brissett do? On the run, rolling to his right, he throws the ball 40 bleeping yards in the air on a frozen rope to T.Y. Hilton. And obviously Hilton makes a tremendous catch, I guess slightly behind him a little bit, which, again, when you're trying to toe tap, that makes everything um, even more amazing with that play. So the end zone view of that throw was really, really cool. Yeah, I was glad CBS went to that pretty quickly after that play. Because when you're watching it from the sideline angle, the usual classic sideline angle, it looks like it was just a straight line throw. You know, still impressive, but when you look right. at it from the end zone, you see, holy cow. Yeah. He really was truly throwing to that spot of where he was going to be and had to project. You know what I mean? I mean, oh, yeah, it just sure. it was crazy. And, you know, Hilton mentioned after the game he wasn't the first option. Hilton was kind of running a clear out route. 
So they wanted to get someone underneath. I, I'm, I'd have to go back and watch the all-22 the all later in the week to see exactly who the play was designed for. But obviously, Von Miller blows that up. And for Brissett to make that play, Joey, because think back. Okay, he had not played very well. very Just a very blah performance by really everybody on that on that offense all game long. He just had fumbled two drives earlier. Mm-hmm. When you look like you were kind of nearing potential field goal range and um, you know, that would have been a huge, huge drive. And Brissett fumbles. And think back to the Oakland game. You start a drive in a similar part of the field. You're trying to go down late in the game. And for the Oakland game, I think it would have been a tying drive. Um, and he throws the pick. So this was a question we had about Jacoby Brissett. You know, could you lead the big drive when you're down? And... That really was the only play that you needed because then Denver was like, oh, yeah, it's time to commit another horrific penalty in the fourth quarter. And then out of minute, boom, you're in, you're, you're in Vinny's field goal range. But without that play, you lose the football game. I mean, point blank, period. And the escape and the throw and the catch, it was it was one of the best plays I've seen from a, from a quarterback here in 2019. And, you know, Frank Reich mentioned after the game how many quarterbacks in this league can make that play. It's Mahomes, it's Rodgers, it's Wilson, it's Watson, and I don't know if you go much further down the list than that. You know, it, it was a rare, rare play, and, you know, people are going to probably turn off the podcast when I say it, but I tweeted after the game. It reminded me of the Andrew Luck play against the Dolphins last season to to Chester Rodgers. And it was a question of, like, could Jacoby make those plays in that critical of a moment? And he absolutely did that for you. He saved you, and I actually even go back to earlier in the game, Joey, when you had the 55-yard field goal in the first half. It wasn't as – I would say Von Miller had a better chance of sacking Brissett there, you know, on the 35-yard play to Hilton than maybe – trying to think of who it was for Denver. Um, I think Malik Reed maybe had him. Maybe it was someone else. It might have been Todd Davis had Brissett on the final drive of the first half, and Brissett escapes, dumps it to Hines. Hines takes off for 20 yards. You get three points out of that drive. Vinny's 55-yard field goal is all we talk about, and rightfully so, what a huge kick it was. But again, if Brissett doesn't make that play, you don't get three points in the first half. And now you're down 13 nothing, you know, early in the second half. So, um, un un freaking believable play by Jacoby Brissett and uh, it'll be on any sort of highlight reel for him in his career and it will be like you said Joey on any sort of 2019 Colt highlight reel when Adam Vinatieri uh, hit not only the field goal at the end of the half but of course the end of the game I was reminded of the Dumb and Dumber scene have you seen Dumb and Dumber yes I don't know you're not a movie guy I don't know how can you be an American and not and or be anybody hey, and not see Dumb and Dumber? I'm just I'm just being cautious with my movie uh, quotes. I mean, I know I've seen maybe seven movies in my life, but that's one of them. That's one of them. I've seen them multiple times. When Lloyd comes back up on a little scooter after he sells the uh, the, the the paddy wagon, oh, dog yeah. paddy wagon, and, yeah. and and Harry says, "Just when I thought you couldn't mm-hmm. be any dumber, you go out and totally redeem yourself." <laughs> that's what I thought when Vinatieri. I saw a few of those memes. Yeah, after he, the Vinny kick, <laughs> when he missed. They shanked the first one, hit the one at the, the the before the half, and then of course missing the extra point, and then nailing the fifty-five yarder. Unreal. It was weird, Joey. 
for good and bad reasons, you were in that position because of Adam Vinatieri. The good reasons being the 55-yarder and even the 45-yarder that he made. The bad reasons, of course, being the 45-yarder he missed in the first half, and then he also you know, had the duck hook extra point. Um, so the first kick he misses, that 45-yarder that never had a prayer, you know, it was what? 15 yards right of the goalpost, whatever. I mean, Remind it, me of uh, one Mike Vander. I was going to say, very similar kick in terms of going right. I think Vandy's might have had a little bit more of a tail, but that was just a straight push. And Tom McMahon is the Broncos special teams coordinator. Used to be the Colts special teams coordinator. He knows Vinny hates nothing more than when guys jump over the line to try to block kicks. That's what Denver did yeah. on that first kick. Jumped right over. Honestly, if Vinny kicks that straight, probably gets blocked. Maybe even return yeah. for a touchdown. So I'm not like condoning the the miss, but I think there are a little bit more reasons there and why he missed that kick. Now the 33 yard extra point was just terrible, just an absolute terrible kick, and a duck hook that wasn't even close to going in. Um, you know, Vinny has kicked it so much better, Joey, since that early start of the year when he missed the three extra points and had missed, I think, one field goal, maybe two field goals, and. Um, he had only missed one kick in his last four games, and that was the 57-yarder against Oakland or maybe Atlanta, which was obviously a really, really deep kick. So he had kicked so much better. I I couldn't believe – I was a little bit shocked how passive Frank Wright got there Same. late. Oh, man. And Wright was pretty adamant, like, he was thinking negative play. Got to avoid a sack. Got to avoid a holding penalty. There's no timeouts left. Which it's interesting for Frank. Like I, I understand that line of thinking, but it's so polar opposite from Frank Reich. We're just so wired of him being aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. And I'm not saying, you know, chuck it to Chris Harrison, man coverage, Garden T. Y. Hilton. But you had found some success with Hines dumping it off to him, or you know, even some of your tight ends. Could you make it a little bit more manageable? Instead of 51, maybe it's 41. Now the weird thing about Vinny, he he's like a golfer that can't hit his wedges. He'd rather yeah. be at 160 yards out True. than 60 yards out. It seems like he'd rather be like, and I don't know if it's kind of like when you're 51 yards out, maybe it's a full, more of a full swing, you know, a full sort of motion. You're I, just letting it rip. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'm thinking this purely from a golf sense. Like, I am horrific inside of 100 yards. Like, if you put 10 balls for me at 80 yards, you put 10 balls for me at 180 yards, there's not much of a difference, which is just shows you – how pathetic I am of, of a short gamer, but it almost seems like it's that way with 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 Vinny. He's yeah. just a little bit too, um, I don't know, trying to force it, you know, from eighty yards, or really trying to think about it from. I should say eighty yards. That's golf. Um, <laughs> really trying to think about it from thirty three yards on those extra points. So, but that fifty one yarder, man, you talk about smooth. You talk about right down the middle. Well. I don't, yeah, I don't, I mean, it was, it was never a doubt, but I don't know if you were able to keep up with what was going on in Chicago at about the same time. Yeah. And so that, I, you know, I'm sitting there with my family and we just saw Chicago. So what did they do again? They got to, I think they, and this is, shows you the state of Chicago is even right. worse. They got to where it was going to be about a 41 or 42 yarder, I think. Okay. And, and they were just cool with that. They, they, they took a, a couple knees, they set it up for it to be. Last yeah. second field goal from about 41 or 42 yards out. They even had timeout, and they didn't try to run any more plays to get closer. Huh. And everybody's losing their mind saying, and even us included were saying, 
this, you have this history, you haven't been able to figure out the kicker position, and you're all right with even a 41-yarder? Like, yeah. you got to get as close as you can, man. There's no chip shots. Yeah. He misses it. And then literally five or ten minutes later, the, the Colts, Colts are sitting there at 51 position, yards, yeah. and they're saying, all right, Vinny, let's go. And we're like, holy cow. It's you, the same thing. It, and the one thing about Vinny in this stretch is length has never been an issue. Distance has never been too much of a problem. But still, it was <laughs> – I, I, I was stunned by it. Um, that that Fra- and again, Frank Reich said after the game, he was afraid of a holding penalty yeah. and afraid of a sack. Which I get that your offensive line been playing terrible. You had what six negative runs. You had four sacks. I mean, it was the worst day your offense had all season long. Yeah, but it's so much different from the Frank Reich that we're used to. And I mean, if Vinny misses that kick, is he the kicker in Heinz Field next week? I, a lot rode on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it did. It's 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 crazy to go there. Maybe that's a bit too drastic, but that's the state of kind of where you are at from a from a kicking standpoint. Um, but man, um, his mental makeup that I think himself is even kind of he's been a little hesitant with the, the, this season. What a big time kick! What a big time kick! And the 55 yarder in the first half, the 51 yarder there late. When your offense is struggling, you've got to step up. You have to deliver. And there were shaky moments. It was a roller coaster ride of a 60 minutes for him. But to deliver like that, uh, that's why he's a first bout Hall of Famer. There were a few drives there, moments in the, the second, third quarter where, you know, I'd have red zone on, then I'd flip back to the Colts game, and I feel like the Broncos were just constantly on the field offensively. I was like, what? Holy God. This is the longest drives ever. But. At the end of the day, Kevin, Colts defense came through, got the stops they needed to when they needed to. Yeah, Denver had a 17-play drive and a 13-play drive. Yep. 11 combined first downs on those two drives. God, and then they had a drive start of the third quarter with five first downs. The Denver offense with three drives in one day with five first downs. Um, They were on the field for a lot. I think they won time possession, but for a second straight week, the Colts delivered in the critical moments on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I I think coming into the game, it was all kind of like the defense needs to do its job. I think one of my keys to the game was this defense should dominate. And to hold anybody to 13 points in the NFL, that's doing your job. That is doing your job. And this defense needed to do that. I am obviously much more impressed by what the defense did the two weeks prior because I think Den- I think Denver's offense is one of the more passive, saddest offenses I've seen in the NFL in quite some time. It's it, it's makes my eyes bleed watching Denver try to operate offensively. Like Joe Flacco ripped, ripped the coaching staff after that. the game. And I'm thinking to myself, Flacco, I watch you throw more balls into the seats than J.J. Watt does pregame running around any sort of stadium in the NFL. Like yeah. what what <laughs> I mean you you are a lot to blame. Yes, I get it. Third and five run there late with Philip Lindsay. That's really, really passive. And Vic Fangio. Very Joe, Vic Fangio thing to do. That was some Chuck Pagano ish stuff. Yeah. You know, that was a defensive minded head coach being scared as hell. And like I, I, I kind of side more with Flacco after the game. You're a two and five football team. Go win the freaking game. Go, man. Go win the game, and you can still make a prudent play call on third and five. I'm not saying, like, hell, just throw it to Cortland Sutton. Rocky Scene's probably due for another penalty. Right. I mean. For sure. 
it, it, it was just something that I was – it was unbelievable to me, Denver's offensive ineptness. But still, in the critical moments, the Colts delivered. In red zone, one of three for Denver. On third down, Denver was two of 12. I don't think they had a conversion on third down in the second half. Um, and think back to the field position game. Denver had drives there in the fourth quarter where, and I wrote these down, they had drives where they got to the Indianapolis 34-yard line, 48-yard line, 43-yard line. So three drives on the Colts' side of the field. And then they also had a drive that started at their own 45. Yep. Zero points. They didn't even attempt a field goal on any of those four drives. Like, they're on the fringe of it all fourth quarter long. It, I mean, one more field goal probably ends the game. And Brandon McManus has got a big leg, former Colt kicker. And you're able to make those big-time plays. Justin Houston just tormented the Denver offensive That Denver offensive line sucks. Really, really bad. And Ben Banigou, I thought, stepped up majorly. And um, Yeah, Banigou was flying yesterday. Yeah, he was. Holy he God. was. And I'm sure we'll get in some trade deadline questions and Twitter questions. But, um... You know, four yards per rush you allowed, I think, to Lindsey and Freeman combined. That's not horrible to me. Um, it's not, like, unbelievable, but I think you would have signed up for it because that's what Denver can do. Denver can run the football if they can do anything on the offensive side of the ball. So, again, to only allow four yards per, per rush, job well done for this defense. And you stepped up in the critical moments. And for this defense, when you are going to allow – you know, the 17-play drive and the 13-play drive, those two drives ended in two field goals. So, in the Matt Eberflus scheme, again, it's bend but don't break. And you bent a little bit, but when you hold to three, the dam isn't breaking. And so, again, job well done to this defense. I don't want to sit here and act like what I saw on Sunday out of this defense makes me think they're a top-10 unit, but they did what they needed to do coming into this game. If you hold a team in the NFL to 13 points, you should win the football game. And they did. I think it's the 15 points for the Colts. Fewest amount of points they've scored in a decade in a game they've won. Yeah, that, I mean. You don't see the Colts win many 13-10. Was that 15 one? Was that against Baltimore when Vinny kicked those five? So that, that was, yeah, and that was that over a, over a decade ago. Um, that was in the playoffs, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was the divisional round in, in Baltimore. This was uh, the season opener against Jacksonville, I believe, in 2009. They won a game where they scored. It was like 14-10 or something like that. You had 19 to 9 on Thursday night. You had 15 to 13 yesterday. There's some scored 19 weird. against the Titans. Yeah, there's some weird scores. Yeah. Weird, yeah. weird, weird scores. All right, those things that you liked, Kevin. Still some things that you didn't like, even from the win, and you got to start uh, with the rookie, Rocky scene. A little bit of a rough day out there on an island with Cortland Sutton, like you mentioned. I believe four pass interference or four penalties on him yesterday. Five, five penalties on the rookie. Four called, four four accepted penalties. Okay, five called on him. Okay, so it's truly starting to be a kind of a welcome to the NFL rook. Yeah, um, I was hoping you'd have some headline maybe associated with his name. Uh, maybe you can think of that. If they would have lost, probably. Yeah, but. you would have you would have been right there, Joey. It was one of the most flag filled performances I've ever seen for an NFL player. Um, you know, I'm sure Tart Glenn was whistled for a few false starts in one game back in back in the day, and I think it's Laramie Tunsil and Rock Yassine tied for the most committed penalties in the NFL through seven games. 
honestly, it reminded me of, uh, oh gosh, Homeboy, uh, who has all the kids, Antonio Cromartie in uh, in uh, London. Yep. He was, <laughs> he committed, I think, three flags on one drive and finally got benched. I think he got cut the next day. Pretty sure he went shopping in Paris when the Colts were over in London, which I think was a big no-no. I don't think Paris and London are that close to each other. It doesn't, doesn't seem like it, no. I mean, it was it was awful by rock. It was, you know, Adam Vinatieri. If Adam Vinatieri in the Chargers game and Eric Ebron in the Raiders game had a kid, that would have been Rocky seen on Sunday. <laughs> Not great. Not Five great. flags, uh, 56 yards, I think, in, in penalty yardage, what those flags led to. Uh, Cortland Sutton had three catches. and I must say, Joey, when when, when the game started, Pierre Desir is inactive. Um, Quincy Wilson is a healthy scratch. And I always do this on the first drive of the game. I always am kind of a big coverage guy. Okay, what are they doing coverage-wise? Yes, yes. Who's playing in those coverages? And when I see Rock Yassine not go to one side of the field to start the game, I'm kind of like, wow, is he really shadowing Cortland Sutton? And then Cortland Sutton goes into the slot, and he's shadowing him in the slot. And, like, that's something that you don't usually see. Mm-hmm. Chris Harris shadowed T.Y. Hilton on Sunday. Chris Harris didn't go in the slot with Hilton. Rocky Scene was shadowing him all over the place, which I love, love doing things differently on the defensive side of the ball. But, man, the fact that you kept on riding that the whole game, I was like, what in the world? Oh, like, wait, Rocky Scene is still shadowing Cortland Sutton after penalty number three, after penalty number four, after penalty number five? Is that just because of lack of options, or is that truly everyone I know would, in, a, in a win, people are going to say, oh, you know, Frank Reich, that just that just shows the trust in his players and that he's going <laughs> to have faith in them throughout. But was it really just because they're like, I don't know what, what the hell else to do, just, you know, survive with them? You know, it, it's a very fair question, but my thinking is this. who Who else is beating you? Offensively for for Denver. Yeah, that's true. Denver has nobody. Can you name that's me the Denver Broncos wideouts? I think there's a Gallup in there, right there. Deshaun Hamilton, and then there was like a. I mean, honestly, I have to look up some of these names. Number eleven was fast. I remember him, Spencer, Spencer Winfrey, and Brown, Fred Brown, Fred Brown. He's been your neighbor for thirty-seven years. And he, uh, he's one of Denver's <laughs> wideouts. Denver had five wideouts. None of them wore any number in the 80s. Is that dying? Receivers wearing numbers in the 80s? The teens are making an emergence. Yeah. For sure. I just, I was, I was stunned that the Colts continued to do that. It looked like there was a little bit of over-the-top help for Rocky Scene late in that game, but I'm not even sure if Flacco targeted Cortland Sutton those final few drives. You know, Rock, after the game, spoke to the media, which is, you know, commendable by him. He mentioned that he was losing press coverage. You're losing that early leverage in the play. And when he loses that, then he starts to get grabby. And that contributed to the penalties. And I guess the question is just like, you know, pressing Cortland Sutton is different than pressing a guy at Temple or pressing a guy at Presbyterian. I think that was the question we had about Rocky Scene coming into the NFL. Man coverage was his strength, mm-hmm. but there's a step up in competition. And right. you watched Rocky Scene in camp. I watched him in camp. I mean, he dominated Devin Funches in training camp. Yep. But it was weird. We didn't really see anything in the preseason from that. And then also, 
We haven't really seen any dominance out of him in the regular season. I I, I don't think the, it's not like he looks lost in coverage. His technique just breaks down at the final moment. Right. I didn't think all the penalties were like 100% obvious. I thought a few were questionable. But to me, it just got to the point of, wait, why Why are you still putting him on an island? I'm not saying throw Kenny Moore out there. I'm not saying throw Marvell Tell out there. But play some zone. Play some, you know, Have Hooker, Odom right there over the top. Um, yeah, it was one of the worst games I've seen from an NFL player in, in, in quite some time. Another thing that you didn't like, and it's really interesting, Kevin, uh, was was the offensive execution for the Colts because you have the weeks like last week against Houston in Kansas City where they have a clear plan, their plan is working, they stick with the plan, and it's almost flawless. And then you go out in a game like yesterday, in a game like Oakland, and it's just clunky. Yeah, they can't find the rhythm. Really, really clunky. Um, you know, we, we heard all this talk about Denver's defense, top five unit. Number three ranked against the pass. Now they're middle of the pack against the run. So it's not like they were, and they really struggle getting after the quarterback. So they are good in not giving up a whole y- a lot of yardage, but they haven't been dominant, you know, across the board. So I was interested to see how the Colts would fare. I thought they'd struggle throwing the football, which they definitely did, but I thought they'd be able to run it, and I thought they'd be able to protect Jacoby Brissett. They ran it okay. Uh, 4.1 is the final number. Brissett did average 5.7 scrambling, so you're probably a little bit less than four, um, which isn't terrible, four yards per carry. But Brissett was sacked four times, four times in 25 pass attempts. Mm-hmm. And think about how many he avoided. It was not a good day for the offensive line. That's where I put the biggest culprit for the issues offensively. Um, I thought your wideouts struggled to beat Denver coverage. Uh, we talked about Chris Harris against T.Y. Hilton, but just your other wideouts in general, man. You had 11 targets to your wideouts. 11. <coughs> Four catches. Man. That, that's awful. Yeah. People were tweeting at me during the game, this feels like the Jacksonville game from last year. I wasn't thinking that totally. For one, I think Jacksonville's defense is much more talented than Denver's defense at every level. Um, we, we talked about coming into the game. Von Miller had a very quiet year, very quiet season. Look at his numbers. He pretty much showed up in one game this season. He was unbelievable yesterday. He was all over the place. I mean, he absolutely I – mean, we're talking stops in the run game, tackles for loss. You know, obviously, he had. He, I think he had a sack and a half. Um, he was huge in that game. But it comes down to me – the four sacks, and then the negative runs. You had, I think, six, maybe seven negative running plays. That was the Oakland game. Oakland, I think you had four, maybe five negative runs. Um, And you didn't really sustain drives very deep into Denver territory. You kind of did that last year against Jacksonville. Jacksonville was just kind of a – Frank Reich was just like, I'm going to go for everything. And I felt like you could have settled for some field goals that were – you were more – Inside the 30-yard line, I felt like against Jacksonville than you were against Denver. Um, I thought it was probably the poorest game Jacoby Brissett's played all season. And we, we can sit here and say the play he made was effing incredible. Yep. But we can still look at the 60 minutes of football and realize that was probably the poorest game he's played all season long. I feel like with him... 
for a six four quarterback, he gets quite a few balls batted down. Yeah, he had, he had a few balls that were batted down. Um, Miss Hilton on a third down, a couple inaccurate plays. What was he? Fifteen to twenty five. So that's sixty percent. I don't think there was any drops. Maybe I'm forgetting one, but I, I don't I don't recall anything too blatant. So yeah, it was it was, and that's kind of what I sort of expected. You know, we we talked about Denver hadn't allowed a 300-yard passer all season long. Um so I didn't expect a whole lot of the pass pass offense, but I go back to the O-line, Joey. You know, I mentioned it on Thursday's podcast, the difference between Denver's defense and Houston's defense, back-to-back games. Denver's better than the secondary, they aren't as strong in the front seven. So I expected better out of the front seven, or I expected better out of the offensive line for the Colts. They played worse than they did against Houston last week. And you're just, your offensive line continues to be so healthy. I'm just thinking to myself, mm. what happens when you suffer that injury? I mean, the Colts again played another team that loses an offensive lineman during a game. It seems to happen every week for the opponent. And yet the Colts continue to be just amazingly healthy up front. So, uh, yes, the the poorest day from the offense all season long, and um, thankfully you're able to survive it. A few interesting names on the inactive list that you got about an hour and a half or so before kickoff, uh, likes of Quincy Wilson, mm-hmm. Deion Kane, which yeah. was a popular topic last week for us. What do you think about that? Well, let's start with Kane. Um, you know, we've we've touched a lot on his struggles this season and his quietness. And what it came down to was this. Paris Campbell's back healthy, and they felt like that they needed Ashton Doolin on special teams more than they needed Deion Kane. Deion Kane doesn't, doesn't play special teams. He does not play special teams. Now, early in the season, you dress Deion Kane when everyone is healthy. Think back to the Chargers game. Devin Funches was dressing, yep. and you still dress Deion Kane. So you felt like early in the year there was a role for him offensively, even though he doesn't doesn't play special teams. Now you've gotten to the point where he doesn't play special teams, and you don't think there's a a role worthy enough for him to dress offensively. Now, if you'd have told me before the game Deion Kane was inactive, I would have expected more reps for Paris Campbell. He played eight plays, eight plays, one one target. Yep. Doolin, I think, played four snaps offensively so um look it, it, it's been a disappointing start to the 2019 season point blank for Deion Kane it's still very early in his NFL career you know with, with Kane and even with Quincy Wilson I think back to Kamoko Turi last year him being a healthy scratch at one point during the season so I, I don't know if you're trying to send a bit of a message to Deion Kane you know he tweeted after the game last week still on a mission you know, insert emoji there. Lion emoji, rocket ship emoji. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. call there. Yeah. Um, But he had 32 targets in that game against Houston and no catches. It's just, it's still a bit of a head-scratcher when you hear people inside of the Colts building believe that Deion Kane, if he was in the 2019 draft, he would be the most talented wideout in that draft. And then he's inactive. And he's a healthy scratch? Yeah. Um, so clearly some growth still needed there with Deion Kane. With Quincy Wilson, the first thought was, honestly, trade block to me. That was my first thought. 
You know, I think we're seeing yeah. it tonight. Obviously, a much more of a herald the name, but Kenyon Drake not traveling for the Dolphins yep. against your Steelers. He will obviously be traded before four o'clock tomorrow. Now, having said that, what what value are you getting for Quincy Wilson? I mean, got to be a team that's just what, like Philadelphia. Somebody just desperate for some help in the secondary. Yeah, I and know. I mean, like you, you, you pray you get a seventh round pick. I yeah, mean, like yeah. I, I don't even know what you would get for Quincy Wilson. Right. And as much as I want to be like, oh, this is a wake up call. This is Kamoko Turi, Quincy Wilson. This is your third year in the NFL. I know you're 23 years old, but do the wake up calls still need to be coming? Yeah. Time to set that alarm, man. Set it it yourself. Let's go. And I would say maybe the most alarming part of the Wilson healthy scratch, you play Shaq Taylor over him, an undrafted free agent. You play Roland Milligan, a second-year undrafted free agent. Those two guys played zero defensive snaps. So then in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, well, they must have played big roles on special teams. Milligan did. Shaq Taylor didn't play one freaking snap in the game. He didn't play a snap on special teams. <laughs> so, like, is Shaq Taylor, like, needed as a backup more than Quincy Wilson? Right. Because all I hear about is Quincy Wilson's versatility. He can play four or five spots for us. That's so valuable on, on game day. He can play slot. He can be a dime linebacker. All these sorts of things. Plus, I'm thinking Pierre Desir is out. I'd want the long corner as an option. Because if Rocky Seen goes down in that game, that means Marvell Tell. Is he your, was out there a little bit, wasn't he? Oh, played all, he yeah. played a ton more than okay, Quincy right, Wilson. Yeah. You know, he obviously more than Quincy Wilson. Um, Marvell Tell played three snaps all season. Then he plays nearly 40 yesterday. Yeah, I kept seeing 39 out there. I was like, damn. In, in the nickel package. So um, just a major, major head scratcher to me on Quincy Wilson. I think it's got to be trade bait. But then I watched yesterday's game. I'm thinking, why the hell would you trade him? Desir has battled injuries throughout his entire career. Was very healthy last year, but injuries have been an issue for him. We now see a hamstring to where he plays against the Texans without missing a single practice, or with missing all three practices. Then last week, he practiced twice. He was limited twice in practice last week, tested it out, and just didn't feel as good as he did the week before, which is kind of interesting. Misses all practice, one week plays, misses just one practice the next week and doesn't play. But I'm thinking to myself, okay, Desir's your long corner. He's battled injuries. We just saw Rocky Scene have a nightmarish game. Don't you need some insurance? Don't you want a little bit of the longer sort of – what is the serious value you're going to get in return for Quincy Wilson? I If it's a six-round pick, I'd rather have a guy that – now maybe they've lost all faith in him, yeah. which – has he been inconsistent this year? Without a doubt. Has he been that bad? No. I don't know, man. It's uh, we're we'll, gonna find out. We'll ask Frank Reich today. I'll ask Matt Eberflus tomorrow. Pray can't, f- can't wait to hear that response. <laughs> Pray for a candid answer, folks. But um, honestly, may excuse me. Maybe the answer we'll get is at four o'clock tomorrow. Right. Yep. Trade deadline coming up. But at it was four on Tuesday. It was. Um, I would say the happiest guy on that. Inactive list yesterday was probably Tyquan Lewis. He practices all week and is still out, and yet <laughs> we're all worried about Desir, Wilson, and Kane. But again, Tyquan Lewis, a, a seemingly a healthy scratch. So, um, interesting. You were a really healthy football team yesterday. I thought the inactive list would be pretty ho hum. 
Like I expected Doolin. I expected Shaq Taylor. Like I expected those guys. Not basically it meant more to the Colts for special teams with Doolin over Kane. But then on the on the flip side, I thought I was gonna say that again, and then Shaq Taylor doesn't play a single snap. Maybe he's your backup nickel. I could have sworn Quincy Wilson can play nickel. Right. Yep. Again, the diversity. Who knows? Yeah. But we're going to find out mm-hmm. by tomorrow. Like you said, trade deadline at four. You want to get into some Twitter questions? Yes. All right, let's do them. All right. From Jordan, was there a reason Quincy Wilson was inactive? Yeah. I, we, we got a ton of these questions. So I guess I'll just address it all here. Pretty much just talked about it. Um, with Wilson, I think it comes down to honestly more of a trade sense. With Deion Kane, I think it comes down to more of a there's no special teams help with him, and he doesn't play a big enough role for you offensively. Uh, I think those were kind of the – there are other reasons, but I think those were the big reasons why both those guys were healthy scratches. And they were healthy scratches. Pierre Desir was injured. Those two guys were not on the injury report all week long. From Smokey Black, with a half of the season in the books and knowing the Texans have injuries to Watt, Tunsil, and, of course, their secondary, what's your confidence level the Colts win this division? What a great name. Smoky Black. God, I wish people would call me that. Here comes Smoky Black. Smoky Kev. Yeah. I might try that. All right. Um, my confidence in the Colts winning the division? Yep. I think it's gone up after yesterday, right? That Watt injury is huge. Is Tunsil hurt bad? I don't know. I, I, that's the first I've seen of Tunsil. I saw him get. I knew about he went Watt. in the medical tent late in the game. Um, God. That wad injury is huge. That, I mean, Houston's got to win shootouts. That, that That's what it comes down to. Yep. I always thought the saving grace for Houston was this. They had like five or six guys that were really, really freaking good at football. Mm-hmm. Hopkins, Watson, Tunsil, Watt. Obviously losing Clowney. Um, you know, he, he, he was one of those guys as well. And now I'm just kind of like, they're starting to lose some of those guys. So I know the division all won yesterday, but the Colts' chances of winning this division... I think it improved. The The sneaky, important game will actually come down to Jacksonville. Because you still play Jacksonville twice. Whereas you have the lead on Houston and you have the lead on Tennessee because you've beaten them, both of them. You should beat Jacksonville. I'm not sitting here acting like Jacksonville is a true contender. But if for some reason you lose that game at home in three weeks, that is a huge game. For this division. Now you give Jacksonville hope. You bring the rest of the division back back into it. That's a game where, you know, there'll be 58,000 people inside of Lucas Oil Stadium for that game, but it'll mean a lot more than that. Yep. From Casey, are you more bummed at the Notre Dame loss or happy the Tiger won? Oh, my gosh, Casey. <laughs> I was so freaking mad at Notre Dame. I don't know who I was more mad at, Notre Dame or Greeks Pizzeria at 49th in college for – that was the first time I probably ever put any sort of company on blast. Um, for their just, they look like Joe Flacco and Vic Fangio trying to handle pizza orders on this Saturday. Is on night. Saturday night, Saturday, yeah. you know, I'm trying to get a seven o'clock, seven forty-four kick. You know, I'm trying to be smart. It, I waited an hour. I, I got got to go back there to get my money back. I think. Um, oh, you had people just yell. People in Michigan gear, Notre Dame gear, just yelling at them. Yeah, it was, it was pathetic, man. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get off my lawn guy right there. Notre Dame was just tore. I want to cuss so much. I was I was happy. Tiger cured all. I would rather see Tiger win than Notre Dame win at this point in my life. Okay. Because Tiger's not going to win that, that many more times. And Notre Dame was what? They were going to need a lot of help to get back in the playoffs. 
for sure. A lot of help to get back in the playoffs. So as much as I was disappointed in the Irish, Tiger winning just – it gave me a soft smile. Just a nice, genuine – Good way to end your Sunday. That makes me feel good. Yeah. Did you get pizza last night to make up for it or anything? Or Well, event – no, yeah. No, I got a burger in the press box. I'm trying to think of what I ate yesterday. Just a burger in the press box. All right. From Hunter. He says, I know the roof open, window closed, is undefeated. What about our color rush uniforms? Also, what's the deal with Paris Campbell? I think I expected much more from him. I know he got snaps and was targeted, just not what I thought he'd be. Color rush, I think you're two and one. You beat Miami last year. You lost to Denver the year before that. Um, Paris Campbell, like I said, eight snaps, one target. You know, it. You'd think there'd be a few more scripted things in the game plan for him. I mean, I know he was limited at practice all last week, but my thinking is if he's on the field, you try and use him a little bit. So I'll be interested to see how much more he plays and how much more he's involved um, to see what his role is going to be. Sam Wilson, are you a bit concerned we've won all these close games? Could very much come back to bite us. You know, it goes back to the whole playing to your competition, Joey. I think there's a lot to take from winning one possession games. I do. But at the same time, I keep on coming back to there's a standard that you should play to. And the Colts are not playing to that standard on a week-in, week-out basis. And I know full well the NFL is more parity than any other professional sports league. And anything can happen week to week. But you look at the other teams in the AFC playoff picture, they are winning multiple games by two scores. The Colts haven't. So, you know, are you playing with fire? What what happens when your opponents don't commit double-digit penalties every single game? Because I know the Colts had a lot of penalties yesterday. Denver had 10 as well. Denver had seven penalties in the fourth quarter. Mm. Seven. It's a bad team, folks. That's not a good foot. Like, Denver played like they were 2-6. and six. The Colts shouldn't go play like they're 2-6, and six too. The Colts should be better than that. And yesterday, you played like you were a 2-6 and six football team. Or maybe a 3-5 and five football team because you're able to pull out the win. Craig asks, were you worried with conservative play calling on the last drive? 51-yard field goal is no gimme. Hashtag glad Vinny made it. Yeah, I was. I thought you needed a few more yards there, man. And I thought even with no timeouts, you could have been – you could have handled that better. I also thought this. Should Denver have called that last timeout? When did they do that? So – Third down play happens. Marlon Mack gets stuffed. I'm going to look up how much time is left on that play. Marlon Mack gets stuffed. Um, no gain. 32 seconds to go. Bursette starts to kind of sprint off the field because that's, you know, 32 seconds still plenty of time to run on your field goal unit, but that's a little chaotic. Vinny's running on there for a 51 yarder. Yeah, fire drill. Yeah, it is the definite fire drill. Um, Denver got the ball back, and the two plays that they ran, you know, Ron Colley High School could have run two better plays than they did there late. Like, it's not like they were going to get in field goal range. No. And if you're already going to be passive and you've just coached like you've coached the previous, you know, four drives, why not force Vinatieri to make a 51-yard field goal while he's sprinting onto the field? For know. sure. No, I'm some, with you. Yeah, yeah. Something, something to – to think about, um, but yeah, I was I was surprised Frank Reich was that passive. I understand the holding and sack and, and nervousness about that, but that's a whole lot of faith in Adam Vinatieri. 
And it goes against a lot of what Frank Reich believes in. You know, it's just... Mm-hmm. It was odd. Yeah, it was much different. It was it was more of a Chuck Pagano coach decision than a Frank Reich coach decision. From OGH says, Hey, KB, why does it often seem like the Colts play down to a supposed weaker opponent? All we hear about is how well coached the Colts are, and yet they often come out flat when it isn't a big-time game. Big fan of the podcast. Keep up the good work. Cheers from Denmark. Oh! International. I love it. Across the pond, Kevin's Corner. OGH, thank you for the question. Appreciate that. So, I've been thinking about this a lot, because I do think the Colts are a well-coached football team. I don't know if they are the most talented team. You know? I think that, and I, I would have to crunch more numbers on this, but I'd probably put the Colts in like the... 8-12 to 12 range of most talented teams. Like, they are the second seed right now in the AFC. I don't think they're the second most talented team in the AFC. And I don't think that necessarily we should expect them to be the most. Like, it's year three of a major rebuild. I'm not saying, like, Chris Ballard needs to, he should have more talent on this football team. Like, I just don't think there is a lot of talent. Like, not a lot of talent to be 5-2 and two, winning games by two, three scores. Yeah. Do I expect some games to be – did I expect Denver to be a two-score win? Yes. Um, so I think that's where you're at. I think you have playoff caliber talent, but I don't think you have by playoff talent. And so that's kind of why I think that we've seen as many one-possession games. Because I think, I think you're disciplined. I think you are well-coached. Like, I think those areas, you protect the football well. Um, all those areas check, check, check boxes for me. But I just don't think you are a top six. I guess right now you're a top four, uh, based off playoff seeding. I don't think you're a top four, you know, talented team in the NFL. Billy wants to know with all the rumors flying around about Brady potentially leaving, if he goes elsewhere and wins a championship, does this put him in the realm of the most dominant athlete in history? A little off topic from our Colts, but just wanted your thoughts on what Shefty said. Yeah, yeah, Brady doesn't need to win any more titles. He's he's already one of the most dominant athletes. In sports history, right? I mean, he won six Super Bowls. Yeah. We can make an argument about Belichick, Brady. I don't care. The NFL, no quarterback wins as much as Brady's won. Yeah, and especially in a modern era where is there, there is so much parody. And there, there's there's always been so much turnover in oh. New England, especially offensively. The YouTube comments. What a wild, a wild question. Yep. I know. That's going to hurt our rating on YouTube, isn't it? <laughs> From Blind Penguin. I was at the Andrew Luck retirement game, he says. The spirit was as low as you could imagine, and every Colts fan was walking around like a zombie. Do you think Colts Nation realizes how lucky we are with Jacoby? As a fan, personally, I don't need championships or playoff wins. I just want my team to be irrelevant and have hope for the future. I think Jacoby gives us all the above. Plus, he seems like an A-plus personality and leadership qualities. I live in Chicago and have watched the Bears quarterback situation for the last 20 years. We are spoiled. Let's not take it for granted. Wow. Bit of, I like it. Bit of preaching there. Um, obviously, the Colts have been very fortunate at the quarterback position for the past 20 or so years. I would say some fans would probably disagree with that, though. Like he just, It sounds like he just wants them to be a little bit better than okay. I guess it goes back to the Indiana Pacers debate. Eh. You know, Would you rather be the Pacers or would you rather be the Dallas Mavericks? Like the Mavericks have drafted in the lottery here recently, but they also won a world championship. 
I think everyone would say you'd rather win a world championship than, you know, make it to two Eastern Conference finals every 15 years, uh, something like that. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know. You know, being really bad, that sucks as a fan. Um, but I think feeling that glory or, you know, being at that top level, I just think that would be something that, that you would want to get to on a semi. Not semi-annual, more like a once every 10 years sort of thing. But, yes, the Colts have definitely been fortunate at the quarterback position. From Richard Bilby. says, Brissett's player reminded me of you saying, quote, Andrew Luck makes three to five jaw-dropping plays a game, and that we need to see from Brissett, end quote. I think we have one now that we I think we have one that we can draw upon now. Yeah. Can't agree more. Yeah. I mean could not agree more. I mean that that was one of the plays. That is a luck like play. That is a Mahomes like play. Insert whoever you want to insert in there. Um that was jaw dropping. That was incredible. It was off script. It was at a, such a critical time. I go back to the mistake he made against Oakland and then the fumble he had earlier in the game against Houston or um against Denver. You've got one more chance. Your offense hasn't done anything all day long. You go create something, and he created that. It was um, it's one of the best plays I've seen a Colts player make in quite some time. Clayton Clifford asks, do you think Ballard regrets getting rid of Jalen Collins and Nate Hairston this offseason? When making those moves, I don't think he envisioned Quincy being a healthy scratch and Marvell Tell and Shaq Taylor playing 40 snaps a game. Well, I mean, he, he could have kept Shaq Taylor, or he could have kept Jalen Collins over Shaq Taylor. I mean, that that was a decision the Colts made. Shaq Taylor got hurt late in the preseason. Um, I thought he was having a better preseason than Jalen Collins. So I, I think Jalen Collins you can throw out. Nate Harrison, that would be the only other argument. You know, getting a six-round pick for Harrison, I thought was pretty good. But, yeah, I mean, right now you are scrambling a little bit at that cornerback position, and you really need Desir and Kenny Moore to stay healthy. I mean, yeah. I, that those guys' health are vitally important. Scotty says, with Ricky Jean-Francois in 2015 and Zach Pascal now, can we talk about the nice prospect funnel the Colts have built with France? The French connection seems alive and well. Might it be time we start thinking about Ursay the same way we do about R.C. Buford? <laughs> Was I an eagle pronouncing Pascal in the French sense? You know, I didn't catch it. Pascal, he had the huge kick return to start the game, yeah, but did. what do you have, two targets, one catch? Yeah, yeah, a little bit more of a quiet game from Pascal. Right. But. There's not a huge international flavor on the old Colts roster, but um, yeah. Aaron says, what happened to all those crossing routes from last week, especially with Campbell back and with the offense struggling? I was surprised not to see a few similar plays to what worked for us last week. I thought Denver's defense from a secondary standpoint was really good, and um, Houston's secondary I think sucks. Just flat out. No Bradley Roby, Jonathan Joseph. Getting banged up in that game, I I think they're just terrible. So um, yeah, that's why uh, I would say you saw what you saw on Sunday. You know, I I think we continue to have a question about the Colts wideouts when you're playing better secondaries, and especially one that's able to take away Hilton like the Colts or like Denver was able to do with Chris Harris. Can your other guys win? And the Colts didn't win at all on Sunday. Joshua Sutton. Wants to know, what is one realistic trade move you would like to see and feel it could really help the Colts down the stretch and in the playoffs? You know, before yesterday, I, I was pretty adamant about trading for an, an edge rusher. Yeah. But I thought Banigou gave you some good minutes. Yep. And I, I don't know if that's something to where that all of a sudden means you're out of the trade market. I don't think that. You know, I probably put 
edge rusher, maybe corner, maybe receiver, you know, kind of on that list. Um, but I, I may it, it's probably a little bit less than fifty percent that that the Colts make a move. Zach Palmer says, first drive of the game, we had a fourth and one and chose to take a three points. Missed. What mindset do you think Frank was in? Think he sensed this would be a close one with the Broncos coming off 10 days rest? It's a good question, Zach. Um, I I was okay with the field goal there. Obviously, Vinny misses it. I think if you get an early lead there, it's just a totally different flow of the game. You know, I talked about it on Thursday about when you play teams that are in kind of dire situations like Denver, if you can get early leads on them, it's just monumental for your psyche and their psyche going down a bad path and all of those things. But, um, yeah, it's something to where it was a little bit against Frank Reich's thinking. Maybe he just thought points were going to be at a premium all day and felt like he needed to get some early points. Going up against that defense, I, I was a little so surprised. I think if the Colts would have lost that game, that would have been a question afterwards of like, hey, do you think about going for it on fourth and one? From Laura, she says she starts with a rocky scene. Should we chalk his performance up to just being one of those games, or are there more serious concerns moving forward? Does his performance make it less likely Quincy Wilson gets traded? Yeah, Laura, um, I think it should be less likely that you trade Quincy Wilson. I think definitely it should be. With with, with Rock, I don't, you know, if you're going to tell me a guy has five flags in a game, gives up three catches for 72 yards, that that's obviously just so alarming. And as alarming as that stat line should be, I don't think I'm totally there in, like, being, Rock, you seen's a bust. He sucks. Waste of a draft pick. That's horrible. I'm not going there at all with him. Um, so I, I guess that would mean I'm closer to chalking up as like this is probably a one-game thing. But I do think there is a question of like you're stepping up in competition from what you dealt with in college. How can you handle that on a consistent basis? Especially if the Colts are going to throw him into the role that they put him in on Sunday, which was shadowing a guy in Cortland Sutton who is a nice receiver in this league. I don't think we look at him as a top 10 or 15 receiver in this league. But he is a nice young wideout. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's anything to just, like, freak, freak, freak out about. But there's reason, I guess, to have a little bit of concern considering um, just the sort of competition he played against in college. Felipe wants to know, do you think that Reich's play calling might be a bit telling about what the team really thinks about Jacoby and his potential? It really seems to indicate a bit of reluctance to put the game in his hands if I'm reading this right, I wonder what it means for the team's future. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a fair question. Um, and I also think it's Frank Reich be, you know, saying to himself, of like, all right, got a strong run game, normally have a good offensive line, belief in that unit, that's how we're going to win. But I do think there has been a bit of hesitancy to maybe truly open things up with this offense from a vertical standpoint. Um I don't think Frank Reich is all the way there. Like, hey, uh, I don't believe in Jacoby Brissett as the future, so I'm going to call a bunch of dink and dunk passes, and that's how we're going to go. I don't think it's all the way on the on on that belief, uh, but I do think there is some sort of belief in other areas right now of your offense, and that's probably a reason that I've mentioned before. This Colts team should be very open to what that quarterback market looks like 
in 2020, uh, I think they truly evolve as an offense. Matt Voles asks, what position group for the Colts needs to be addressed most before the trade deadline? I would say edge rusher still, but you know, after yesterday, corner and wide out, maybe maybe go up on that list. I don't want to have too much of a recency bias with that answer there, but um, I still come back to can you find the speed rusher? And another thing I think we have to remember, Joey, is this. People are like, Ballard loves his draft picks, loves his draft picks, wants all that. Are all your draft picks going to continue to make the roster? There's going to be some misses in there, right? Right, and just from a number standpoint. I mean, last year you had a six-round pick in Gary Green, seventh-round picks in, J- in Jackson Barton. They weren't close to making the roster. So just from a pure quantity standpoint, when you get to a 90-man roster and you and you have the amount of roster continuity that the Colts ha- are starting to have from year to year, yes, you can obviously use those back-end draft picks to trade up within the draft, but I also think to myself, like, man, the six-round pick, that might not mean as much. Yes, it means something in trade value, but it could also mean a lot in terms of just finding a proven veteran during the middle of the season. Uh, Matthew August says, thoughts on Banigou? Seemed like he played really well to me. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I thought Banigou was one of your bright spots individually, without a doubt. Your rookies played a lot. Banigou played a lot. Okariki started at the Sam linebacker and played a whole lot. EJ Speed, no defensive snaps. Did have a big block on the Zach Pascal. Um, uh, 47-yard kick return. Obviously, Rocky Seen played a ton. Boy, that Corey Willis injury. Tough. Worry about that. Foot injury for him. Um, hopefully, we'll get an update on that. But, uh yeah, and then Marvell Tell was the other rookie that definitely played a lot. Interesting one from Logan here. He asks, do you think Glowinski is the right guard of the future, or should they draft a guard? He seems to be the weakest link. I, I think that's fair. He is the weakest link on this line. The Colts re-signed him to a three-year deal back in January. You know, Joey, I've been clamoring last year. I certainly did it, take an offensive tackle a little bit higher. Um in the back of my mind, as much as I would want kind of a... Because I'm of the belief you need to draft an offensive lineman in the first three rounds in April 2020. As much as I believe that that should be a true tackle, I'm now starting to think, like, could you find a better version of Joe Haig? You know, that that tackle guard, Joe Wrights, you know, from six or seven years ago. Can you find that... Um, And, and and could that maybe be your option of, okay, if Glowinski continues to struggle, you have more of a guard option, but you also have a guy that can play tackle in a in a pinch as well. So I want to see the rest of the season play out. Jacob Rush, with an either-or here, was Vinny more impressive or concerning? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, when you win, it's always got to be more – more impressive, um, but yeah, there are definitely a few questions that 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 flared up from that one. I I'll, I'll be very curious to see how he kicks in Heinz Field. Yeah, you would know better than most, Joey, but I think kickers tend to have some struggles in that outdoor stadium. Um, so yeah, because he only kicked outdoors once. Mm-hmm. You know, since the strike, I guess yesterday was he had the roof open. Yeah, let me but, check the um, forecast here real quick for the, for Heinz yeah, action. Yeah, for, and for you know, I think obviously it comes down to more of a wind thing right. than a 
temperature thing, but um, well, Sunday's supposed to be partly cloudy and 46 for a high, so you would expect probably a little bit of a draft at least. Yes, yeah, something you know up against the rivers there in in Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, I mean there there are definitely reasons to have questions after that game. It was impressive his resiliency and the redemption that we've talked about, but still you miss a 33 yard extra point. Um, you've missed the most extra points in the league right now. So I think I mentioned it after week two, Joey. I don't think we'll ever be out of the waters totally with this Adam Vinatieri thing. Uh, I, I That's just how I feel about it. Um, you're going to have some outdoor venues, especially if you get into the playoffs. And I think it's just kind of the state of where his game's at. In, in, in a weird way, it's almost like Tiger Woods. Like Tiger Woods can have the brilliance that we saw on Sunday, but his body is just breaking down that he could wake out of the bed and look like Joe Flacco on the sideline late in the game while they're stretching his neck out, and that could be the difference between him playing or not. Like Max Scherzer wakes up with what? A little crank in his neck and doesn't pitch in the World Series? Like that's kind of where you're at, I think, with a 46-year-old guy. From Victor, only three guys played snaps at corner yesterday. I know that Denver doesn't have much of a wide receiver, but isn't that approach too risky? With a coaching staff that looks for versatility, what do you think was the mindset behind such an inflexible personnel? I think it's a really good question. Um, the reason is how much you believe in your safeties. Safety snap counts. Hooker plays 62 of 73, so not much of a pitch count for him. Gethers plays 49 of 73. George Odom plays 35. Of 73, and then Kari Willis, who left early, played 32 snaps. So you had four safeties play nearly half. All of them nearly got 50% playing time. That's why you only played three corners. And I think the Pierre Desir injury contributed to that. Hayden wants to know, was Quincy Wilson and Pierre Desir both healthy and active? So we talked about that. Um, but again, Desir was injured. Right. Wilson was not. I want to make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page with that. Okay, yeah. He just says, I think I saw something say they were once enough that was true. He says, love the podcast. Listen to all the episodes this love year. Love it. Yeah. That's loyal. For sure. Thanks, Hayden. I wish we could find that out and like send out Who's, <laughs> yeah. prize. Uh, from Conroy, what the hell is going on with our receiver <laughs> receiving corp? Core? Corp? He says, okay. He spells it core, but then adds the S-E-S, so corpses. I don't yeah. know if that's a Halloween well, thing from Conroy. Some could argue, yeah. Are we, we going to trade for a wide receiver or a D-end? They're not going to trade for a wide. I, I'd be stunned, honestly, if they traded for a wide out. Um, you know, Funches is coming back and what? You got two more games without him at Pittsburgh, home to Miami. Bless you. I mean, you should be able to beat Miami with Joey and I running 35 routes, honestly. That would be fun. Yeah, fun little promotion. Yeah. Just come see Kevin's corner, get their brain smashed. Yeah, hopefully the color rush is a red jersey for me <laughs> that game. Um You know, the, the, the lack of development in Deion Kane, the Paris Campbell struggles early in the season, and I know injuries have played into that. Uh, we know what the Colts have in Chester Rogers and Zach Pascal, right? I mean, like, I, I think we know where the ceiling is for both of those guys. When teams take away Hilton, this has been a constant issue. You felt like Funches, Kane, and Campbell were going to kind of end it. Kane and Campbell have not. We'll see what happens when Funches gets back in a couple weeks. But I think it's just kind of the reality of what the whiteout group looks like right now. 
Last one here that I have, uh, interesting one looking forward. It's from Aaron. It says, morning, Kevin. Colts escaped with the win yesterday. Thank goodness. Looking forward to the game at the Steelers. What will we focus on, especially offensively, as we had head to a place that has been a historical house of horrors for us? Well, maybe you could answer this a little bit better, Joey. From an early Steelers preview, uh, would you say run defense or pass defense is more of a strength with what Pittsburgh has done? Well, I would say based on yesterday that you're going to have to protect Jacoby Brissett because TJ Watt. if there's anything that the Steelers, I mean, yeah, I, I know the Steelers are two and four currently before Monday Night Football as we sit, and a lot of people write off a lot of things about them, which is fair. But one thing they have done all year consistently is get after the quarterback and get after him a lot. Um, so whether that's TJ Watt or Bud Dupree off the edge, whether that's Cam Hayward up the middle uh, inside, mm-hmm. or a blitzing. Vince Williams or Devin Bush or Mike Hilton from the slot position, corner slot position, they come after you. Um, so based on yesterday with how much, you know, the Broncos are getting after Brissett, I would say that has to be the first and foremost thing for the Colts. And I think we're starting to see a trend from opposing defenses like heavy blitzing against the Colts. Make Brissett beat you via the blitz. I, I think that's kind of where people are starting to trend towards um, I saw a wild stat on the Steelers. Their four losses have come against teams that are combined twenty-five and four. Mm-hmm. The two wins are against teams that are three and thirteen. Yep. Now, obviously, if they win tonight, <laughs> that would be three and twenty uh-huh. with the Steel- with the uh, Dolphins' record. But um, we know offensively they're not the same juggernaut anywhere close to what they were when the Colts just got obliterated there, and you know for what three or four straight years, home or away, didn't even matter. Uh, I, I'm really eager to see what Mason Rudolph looks like tonight. Same. You know, how does he um, – first game back, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, how does he come back as well? And the, the, the early line is not big. Colts are favored by one is the early line. And certainly tonight will impact that. It, it's very early in the week for that. But, um, yeah, Colts and Steelers next Sunday. That would, But, yeah, just that would be the biggest thing, just looking ahead to that, is, you know, the Colts get out of there with a win is just making sure that he's not – having to do spin moves and yeah you know try to get the hell out of there all day so yep all right man um big colts win to start the week we'll come back on thursday i'll be heading to pittsburgh this weekend uh what's going on with the rest of the week yeah we'll have uh trade deadline coverage all day over the next kind of 36 hours hopefully for our sake um nothing too significant happens if something does happen uh maybe an emergency pod uh, if it's necessary. If not, we'll see you Thursday morning. Again, Colts right now, the number two seed in the AFC. The Cardiac Colts strike again with this victory. Um, if you haven't already, check out 1075thefan.com and our YouTube page, 1075thefan over there. Um, we've got some video content uh, weekly on the site. And for those of you that listen to the podcast via YouTube, we appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, come back at you either on Thursday or maybe a little sooner than that, depending how – active Chris Ballard is. Everybody have a great week. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.